Guide us, O God, by your word and by your Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, in your will discover peace, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, we'll see if anyone's had this experience. My guess is everybody. Ever had the experience of seeing somebody around town somewhere that looked familiar? You knew that you knew who this person was, but you couldn't put a name to the face. I'm not the only one, right? All right. Well, I did a little research on this, and I found out that there's actually people, this is a real term here, they're called super recognizers. They have this incredible facial recognition abilities, right? Where faces actually get seared into their brain, even faces of complete strangers. Welcome, Andrew. <laughs> Super recognizers account for about 1%. I know there's nothing worse than somebody doing what I just did. I don't know if you know, that's why I did. It was actually genuine. I wasn't meaning to draw negative attention. <laughs> I was actually, I was really happy to see you. Anyway, I'm happy to see you too. <laughs> then it was worth it. So these super recognizer folks account for about 1% of the population, right? Turns out there's another 1% of the population that has the exact opposite issue. They're, these 1% are what I guess I would call totally face blind, okay? It's a condition, it actually has a name too, it's called prosopagnosia. Okay? And these people cannot recognize even familiar faces, including sometimes their own face. Right? Um, for real, I'm not kidding. I'll make this stuff up. And so it reminded me of this story. Many years ago, I was at a wedding, and a ton of my friends were coming back, friends I had known from youth group days. They're all coming home for the <coughs> wedding, many of whom had not seen each other for a long, long time. And so before the wedding, people are gathered out front, of the church, uh, getting caught up, saying hello to friends, when one of the most awkward situations I've ever been around took place. Two of my really good friends growing up hadn't seen each other since high school, because uh, one of them had moved away. And so this reintroduction of two people that knew each other really, really well should have been just a no-brainer. I mean, these people spent years together hanging out. Frankly, they didn't look too much different uh, than they had a few years before, surely these two friends would recognize each other, right? Well, wrong. <laughs> We're standing around talking when my friend Jonathan saw our mutual friend Shannon, and Jonathan, maybe he's in the 1% of the world's population who suffers from this face blindness. I don't know, because he walked right up to her, and he put his hand out, and he said, hello, my name is Jonathan. What's your name? And he sits there awkwardly with his hand extended in front of him. It's painful thinking about it. And she doesn't know what to do. She looks at him kind of funny, freezing for a second. She wonders, is he joking? Because he had a pretty good sense of humor on him. And she realizes that he's not. He just stood there awkwardly with his hand held out. She said, Jonathan, you, you don't know who I am? And he's like, no, well, since this is the first time I've ever met you, this is why I came up to introduce myself. And she says, Jonathan, it, it's Shannon. And his response was, Shannon who? <laughs> and like, it just kept getting worse. And now the whole group of us standing around is watching this conversation in just complete disbelief. We're shocked. Like, Shannon looked exactly like Shannon. 
Okay. Um, if anybody looked different, it was Jonathan, who was probably, I think at that time, might have been sporting a freshly shaved head for the first time, but this was a really embarrassing situation. Like, we didn't know what to do. We didn't know, should we jump in um, and, and try to save him? But we weren't sure if he was kidding around or not. So we all just sat there watching this guy dig the hole deeper and deeper with every word that he said. And all of us in our minds were thinking, like, what is this guy's problem? Why doesn't he recognize her? The other side is we felt terrible for Shannon, right? I mean, look, she just didn't deserve this. And sometimes this, I mean, it does happen. It does happen to us. Sometimes we're all go face blind. We just don't recognize someone that we know we should. I know for me, when this happens, I, I will spend hours, one, days, until I figure it out. It drives me crazy. Crazy, and I will. I bug her to death. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not stopping until I figure out who this person was, right? And, I, and this happens all the time. It's kind of a curse, actually. I wish I could let it go. Um, but this happens to all of us. And so, what I learned when I was kind of studying this is, it is. It's actually perfectly normal. Most of the time, we're face blind because we see a person out of our normal context, and that makes some sense. And so what we're going to see today is that even some of Jesus' closest friends didn't recognize him when they saw him. And so in today's text, Jesus will reveal himself to two men who should have recognized their Lord's face, but they didn't. And so listen to Luke's account of the walk to Emmaus, chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you're walking along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place in these days? He asked them, What things? And they replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of this, it was now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him, Strongly saying, stay with us, because it's almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So we went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, he blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. Their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. 
They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? The same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. The Gospel of the Lord. And so part of the story, I think, that makes it kind of fun is that we, the reader of the story, we actually know uh, considerably more than the two disciples walking on the road. These disciples seem to be suffering from face blindness. They do not recognize their own friend and Lord right in front of them, while the reader knows exactly who it is that's walking with them on this road. And so the two disciples are traveling from Jerusalem to Emmaus. They're probably on their way home. The uh, recent events in Jerusalem had given them plenty to discuss. And so when I was looking at it more closely, the Greek here even hints at the fact that these guys were probably debating, perhaps even arguing, about what had happened. And so when you look at it, they're certainly not debating Jesus' death. There's not much to argue with there. The famous prisoner, Jesus Barabbas, the one who was found guilty of leading this insurrection against Rome, this man has been set free. And the cross that had Barabbas' name on it was occupied by none other than the Son of God, Jesus himself. And so these disciples, their hopes have been dashed, this light in their life has been extinguished. They thought that Jesus, the scripture said, was the one that was going to redeem Israel. But his death only confirmed in their minds that he could not have been the one that was Israel's redeemer. So they've given up hope. They're going home. They've left Jerusalem, beaten with their tail between their legs. They've walked seven miles of their journey so far when they encountered the risen Christ. Now for these disciples, hope had been buried with Jesus in the tomb. This is why they left for Emmaus in the first place. Why stay in Jerusalem? Jesus was dead. A dead Messiah was a failed Messiah. And they're debating these things, possibly arguing about these things, as Jesus appears among them, and they don't recognize him. One of them, named Cleopas, is shocked. Is this the only person in the world who doesn't know the things that have happened in Jerusalem? This is my favorite part. He refers to Jesus as a stranger, a stranger, someone that he has never seen before. The irony is thick. Our minds are screaming at this guy, Cleopas, and his buddy, uh, just like we did to my friend Jonathan. You knuckleheads. Like, nobody in the world understands the events that took place in Jerusalem more than the man that you are talking to right now. This is no stranger that you're talking to. You know him well. And so you want Jesus to hurry up to reveal himself to these thick-headed disciples to get this awkward encounter over with as fast as possible to show that he really was alive and well. That God really has raised him from the dead. That Israel's Redeemer was in fact very much alive. And so the discussion, the debating, the arguing must have been about the resurrection. Before leaving Jerusalem, they had heard whispers. Some of the female disciples that morning had gone to the tomb, and they found the stone rolled away. They found Jesus' body gone. 
And so they talked about an encounter with angels who told him that Jesus had risen. And so the male disciples, being a little bit slow, they think that this is just an idle tale, but one. But Peter runs to the tomb and is amazed at what had happened. And so to Cleopas and his traveling companion, though, this wasn't enough. They shared this in common with doubting Thomas that we looked at last week. They want to see the wounds in his hands. They want to place their own hands in the hole in Jesus' side. They want real evidence. They want proof. And without it, they're just not going to believe. And so, hopeless, they just turn and leave Jerusalem to go home. We want to slap them a little bit. Maybe a lot. We want them to take a closer look at their traveling companion. And you have to wonder, did Jesus really look all that different? Or were they just totally face-blind, unable to recognize a very familiar face standing right in front of them. And maybe at this point, even Jesus has had enough. These guys need some help. I think it's kind of funny that the first thing that Jesus does in revealing himself is he actually insults these guys mildly. It's really gentle. I think it's supposed to be kind of funny. He says, calls them foolish. He calls them slow of heart to believe. Like my friend Jonathan, they're face blind, a little dim-witted, a little dense, a little slow. But then Jesus walks them through the scriptures. Jesus said to them, was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things? And then enter his glory. And then Jesus walks them through the Hebrew Bible, showing them all of the places in scripture that actually talk about him. I imagine this one text that I, he must have read this. Isaiah 53, I, I, I picture him reading this. He was despised and rejected by others. A man of suffering and acquainted with infirmity, and as one from whom others hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him of no account. Surely he's borne our infirmities, carried our diseases, yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was laid the punishment that made us whole. And by his bruises we were healed. But even after words like this, that he must have read to these two guys, this personal tutorial going through the scriptures, they still don't get it. They don't recognize the company that they're in. It's now getting late. Jesus is going to have to step up his game or he's going to have to give up. He walks on ahead as if to leave. That's what it says. He's like, you know what? These guys aren't going to get it. And he walks on ahead and they call to him. Hey, it's getting late. Why don't you stay with us? Jesus agrees. And finally, it's finally in the intimacy of fellowship that Jesus is revealed to these two travelers. It's no accident that Jesus is revealed at the table, around a meal. Jesus took the bread and says he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. What does that remind us of? Communion that we do here in this church on the first Sunday of the month. Oh, I wish it was today. Talk about movement. I wish it was today. It's the intimacy of this shared meal that Jesus is recognized. 
Finally, their eyes are open, they're no longer face-blind, and Jesus just disappears when recognized. Everything begins to make a little bit of sense to them, and they say, we're not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road and while he was opening the scriptures to us. Hope is restored. Jesus really was alive. And so now these men, they had the proof that they needed. Instead of continuing on to Emmaus, they actually turn around, they head straight back to Jerusalem. They had seen the risen Lord, and this, of course, would have to be shared with the disciples who were still gathered there. They say the good news travels fast. I picture these guys running like at least six minute miles to get there. <laughs> to get there, but just after dark, right? They have to be, they burst through the door. The 11 are still gathered. They, who's going to talk first? They both have so much to say. The 11 start blurting out that Christ had appeared to Peter. These guys tell their story about meeting the risen Christ on the road. And the fact that Jesus was truly with them, that he hadn't left, nor would Jesus ever leave them. And so I found this story. This famous conductor, his name was Reichel, and he was taking his choir and orchestra through their kind of final preparations for singing uh, one of Handel's uh, songs from the Messiah. And the soprano soloist came in and was singing this refrain, I know that my Redeemer, that those of us who know this Messiah is pretty awesome. And this woman sang it flawlessly, perfect technique, good breathing, clear enunciation. And when she finished her part, the entire orchestra stopped and was waiting for the approval of the conductor because she had done such an amazing job. And instead, he kind of waves his baton for some silence and he walks over to the soloist and almost kind of sorrowfully, he says, My daughter, do you not really know that your Redeemer lives? And she was kind of embarrassed because everybody's watching her. And she says, yes, actually, I think I do know that my Redeemer lives. And his response was, then sing it. Sing it. Sing it like you know it. And so they struck up the orchestra again. They began and she sang it with this kind of way that it's described in the story, this truth with this vigor uh, that testified to her personal relationship with the risen Lord. And the people who listened after she finished just wept and the master himself had tears in his eyes and he said, that time you told me. That time you told me. Can you imagine the excitement that these guys must have felt? They run to tell their fellow disciples that their Redeemer really was alive. They encounter Christ. It had to be, what an emotional experience. We talked about Thomas last week. What his experience must have been like holding the hands of the risen Christ. These guys, too, what an emotional experience that must have been. Having met the risen Christ, they could no longer continue walking the same road that they were on. They had to turn around. They had to share this experience with others. And so maybe when we recognize Jesus for who he really is, in moments when we're not face-blind, we are these super-recognizers. All of us should be moved with excitement to share this with the people that we love, like they did. Like the disciples on the road that day, it actually changes the direction of our lives. We too might need to consider turning around if we found ourselves walking the wrong way. 
And so the good news is hard to contain. It's like when I thought about it, I thought about bubbles trying to get to the surface. One way or another, they're going to get there. And this news is so good. It's like bubbles coming and making their way to the surface. It's so joyous. It's something that has to make its way out when we recognize the Lord, when we meet Him on the road of our own lives, when we enjoy fellowship with Him, it actually changes us from the inside out. How could we not turn around and go share this news with the people that we care about? What could possibly be more important than that? So this challenge is to get out there, to let the good news bubble out of our lives in word and in deeds of service to a world that desperately needs to know that our Redeemer lives, that Jesus is risen. We pray with you.